This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. Watch out now. I love talking about music with Robert because sometimes when he gets really into it, he might forget the name of an artist or say something that sounds close to what he was getting at, but is just slightly off. A few minutes ago, he was talking about Passion Pit. Huge fan of Passion Pit's work, by the way. And Robert, what did you call them? I called them Pleasure Pit. Close enough. Yeah, I mean, like, if that it was a thesaurus like, band. You know, Chris Harrison was booted off the Bachelor series. If he was going to get involved in a new project that's not exactly The Bachelor, but has the same premise to compete with the show, it might be titled Pleasure Pit. We put two single people in one pit. Tune in next week to Pleasure Pit. Let's get to the details on the Duke basketball succession plan. The story is titled, Our Next Coach is in this room inside Duke's secret search to replace Coach K. Brendan Marks is back with us from The Athletic. Brendan... Going over some of the details, there are three things from this story that really fascinated me, but the details of it is what's most fascinating. And in order to get all of those, you'll have to read the story at The Athletic. But as the title suggested, our next coach is in this room. Those were words apparently spoken by Chris Carrawell, who's now going to be the associate head coach with John Shire at Duke, Shire being the head coach. It was Carrawell who suggested when Coach K first told all the coaches he would be retiring in a year that Shire should be the next guy. How surprised were you to learn that Carowell, who is a former Duke captain himself, had been on K's staff for a while, was the one to first suggest Shire should be K's successor? Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised at all, Josh. And I think that, you know, regardless of if Chris had or hadn't said anything, I think it was pretty clear to anyone who's been around the program the last few years, anyone who knows how influential John Shire has become there, that he was going to get some sort of crack at this job regardless. But uh, no, I, I wasn't surprised that Chris Carroll sort of vocally voiced his support for Shire because I know how highly he thinks of him, how highly really anyone who has come into contact with John Shire in the Duke basketball program the last three years has thought of him. And, you know, Carowell is a guy who, uh, in his own right, is a very good coach, a very good recruiter. Um, he's someone who obviously had a, had a ton of success as a player at Duke, sort of like Duke's other coaching assistants. But I, I think the thing about Coach Carowell that made this so interesting is he is just a very honest, transparent person. He never tries to play games. He's very upfront. And so when he heard that this that Coach K had sort of made up his mind about wanting to go away, he knew how he felt. He knew how he felt about the job, about John Shire, and and he made those thoughts known. And um, as people who read the story will know, uh, obviously Coach K felt the same way, and, and the idea sort of carried from there. In the story, you said that the Athletic asked Duke about an anonymous tip on May the 11th that there might be a coaching change in a year at Duke. Were you the one trying to chase this down? Because what was great was the guy responsible for the PR for Coach K, John Jackson, who was helping with this search, apparently after either you or your colleagues reached out, told the coaches, guys, this is a story that might be breaking sometime soon. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's it's not just me, Josh. You know, this is a, it's a team effort. So 
Um, I'm very lucky that, that I got to work on this story and um, not just this particular one today that we're talking about, but this whole saga with Coach Day. I got to work on it with my great colleague, Seth Davis, who obviously is very well connected at Duke. Um, my good colleague, Sam Sharania, who does so much work breaking news at the NBA level. So, um, you know, sort of all three of us. But yeah, you know, I think uh, anybody in the basketball sphere will tell you that similarly to what you heard in the days and, and weeks after the end of the season, what you heard about Roy Williams, you heard sort of similar things about Coach K. And um, ultimately, you start looking at some of the trends across the sport, the way things are changing, um, having someone like a Roy Williams step away, having someone like a Juan Kruger step away. Um, and so you combine those things with all of the rumors that you're hearing, and certainly you have to check and see if there's smoke where there's fire. And in this case, you know, the, the things all added up. So, um, yeah, this is something we were chasing, but at the same time, uh, you've always got to be aware and conscious that this sort of thing can happen, and um, everyone is shocked, but uh, this had to happen at some point, so it might as well be now when Coach K is about to turn 75. Like, you, me, and Robert actually were hanging out earlier in the week in Winston-Salem when this news dropped, so I'm just interested. How close were you and your colleagues to being able to produce something before this news happened? Because I have to imagine... You had a lot of things already put together in the rumors, but the Duke Brotherhood seemed to be airtight on this one. Yeah, I, I think that was the biggest thing about this story that uh, was so not interesting to me, but exactly what you'd expect. It was that, you know, because this is such important news, it's news that is obviously going to shake up the sport, but. It's also news that to people who played at Duke, people who are invested in the Duke basketball program, you know, whether it be alumni, whether it be former players, whether it be coaches, et cetera, it doesn't matter who you are. If you have a rooting interest in the Duke basketball program in any way, you were going to be shooken. You were going to be shaken that this Coach K news was coming out. So, um, you know, in talking with some of these guys, obviously Nolan Smith, Chris Carwell are quoted in the story. Um, John Shire is quoted in the story. You know, they all expressed that they felt this sense of we have to keep the secret for coach so he can announce this on his own terms. And, um, you know, this is the sort of thing that is going to be such a major, major story that they wanted to do their best to keep it under wraps. So, yeah, are, are we aware of some things? Certainly. Are, are some other things going to come out after the fact? Absolutely. So when you're dealing with something that's as important and, and as consequential as this story is, um, you got to be prepared. But at the same time, you can't possibly know everything that's coming. In the story, Brendan, you reported that Tommy Amaker was interviewed and considered here, but one of the hang-ups was that if Amaker was going to be the guy, he would have to be an assistant for the next year, given that Duke didn't want any drop-off at all on the recruiting front for this offseason and also wanted to have Kay's successor already in place in Durham, which would require the staff to be reshuffled. They just added Nolan Smith, for example, on the staff to replace Nate James who took the co uh, coaching job at Austin P. How big of a hangup do you believe that to be? And did you do you know any of the other coaches that were considered for this gig? Yeah, I, I think in the case of Tommy Amaker, look, when, when I first got on the Duke beat years ago, Josh, he his name was the one that was consistently brought up to me behind closed doors as this is a guy that has had success at multiple places, has a very strong sense of professionalism, has deep ties to the basketball community, is very well liked by his players and just generally by the administrations that he's worked for. So so certainly I can understand Duke wanting to approach Tommy Amaker and, and potentially gauge his interest. 
I think the thing that's really important for people to understand about that part of the situation is if even taking out John Shire being here, being on staff, John Shire is a great candidate, even if he had been an external hire, right? Like this is a guy who I think a lot of people have, have looked at this hire and said it's just a right place, right time thing, that he happened to be the most prominent assistant on Coach K's bench when Coach K finally decided to call it quit. And that's just not the case. It's just not the truth of the matter. John Shire is one of the best recruiters in the entire country. He has, for the past three years, taken on increasingly more and more responsibility in terms of recruiting, in terms of opposing scouting. You know, he takes on a lot of the more challenging opposing scouts in the ACC and for non-conference games for the Blue Devils. He is someone who maintains a large majority of the team's uh, player relations, even after players have left. You know, when he says, I'm texting Jason Tatum in the NBA playoffs, that's not for show. He's actually doing that. You know, he, and he's not doing it just for the, for the cloud or whatever you want to call it. He's doing it because he cares about Tatum. Tatum likes him because they get along. And because, guess what? Jason Tatum got a lot better when John Tyre was coaching him. So I, I think that there's been this misconception that Tommy Amaker only wasn't hired because he was outside of the building. And that's not the case. It's that, Yes, John Shire was in the building, and it helps that he's going to be able to provide some continuity from a recruiting standpoint. But at the same point, for the past three years, he has been the second most important person on that staff. He's had the most responsibility of anyone not named Coach K. So um, I, I just wanted to clear up that misconception because I think a lot of people are not giving John the full credit that he deserves for winning the job. And while Tommy would have been great, um, John certainly had a, an impressive resume of his own. That's why he ultimately ended up getting. And do you know any other coaches who were contacted? It didn't sound like Johnny Dawkins was one of those coaches when we spoke with them. Yeah, I, I think you know there there's a difference between contacting people and truly investigating them. You know, as was the case with UNC, there were you know ten or fifteen names who were ultimately thrown out. You know, before the search got going, UNC gets in contact with eight. You know, getting in contact means gauging interest. Um, but no, as, as far as we can tell, the only two serious contenders for the job at any point were Tommy and obviously John Shire, who ultimately get it. I'm sure there were others who were consulted, a couple of others. But um, again, those two were the ones who, when it came down to the end of things, were the most serious contenders to actually replace Coach K. Brendan, it was good to see you a few weeks ago. Hope you're doing well and uh, hope we can catch up sometime soon. Great work on the story. Absolutely. Thanks, Josh. And yeah, it was great getting to work with Seth on it. Yeah, there you go. It's on uh, it's on the athletic. Seth Davis and Brendan, our next coach, is in the room inside Duke Secret Search to replace Coach Kang. Gotta give Seth his flowers too. Brendan's a really good teammate there. If Robert was the one co authoring the story, Robert would just be telling everybody, Yep, that was me uh who contacted Coach and was the one that investigated these rumors. That was me who did all this. If it was a Woodward and Bernstein deal, nope, it would just be a Robert Walsh deal. And Brendan picked the pictures out. They're very nice pictures that are shown in the article. Uh, he picked the layout. He got to pick the font. But I did all the heavy lifting, yeah. Uh, NC State, they're in action tonight. We suck. Winner's bracket facing Vanderbilt. It's going to be Jack Leiter on the mound tonight. What's the old saying? Be afraid of the person that has nothing to lose. NC State has nothing to lose tonight. 
The pressure's all on Vandy. Defending champ, two top 10 picks on the mound. State isn't supposed to be here. Started one and eight. Lost game one in Arkansas 21 to two. If they win tonight, State, they can win a national title. Advancing further in the winner's bracket, odds are you're not going to see Leiter or Rocker again. You get yourself to that final series. They were so close the last time they went to Omaha. State, it looked like a very NC State stuff type of game on Saturday. Up 6-0, then it's 6-3, and the bases are loaded in the 7th. They got out of trouble there. Justice did his thing. I think uh, this is going to be a little bit tougher, but 7 o'clock tonight. You can listen to the game right here on WSJS Sports. It's going to be NC State facing Vanderbilt. Tom Brady, he fired some shots. But at home specifically, that's next on The Drive. Well, listen to this guy. Hour after hour. What is this? The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Robert, please tell me we've got this Tom Brady sound that's making the rounds today. Oh, we've got this Tom Brady sound. This is from... It's actually in advance of an episode of The Shop this week. The LeBron James show on HBO. And we'll have to wait till later on in the week to get the full context of why Tom said this. But... In speaking about his free agency and looking at teams to join after leaving New England, he apparently was interested in a team that at the last second decided they were not interested in Tom, which led to this quote that we heard today. One of the teams, and they weren't interested at the very end. I was thinking, you're sticking with that mother... You're sticking with that mother bleeper. Who is he talking about? To me, it's only, it has to be one of two teams. San Francisco, make it three teams. San Francisco, Tennessee, or the LA Chargers. But if we're going to do process of elimination here, he wouldn't say that about Sam Fran when they're up double digits in the Super Bowl a month before that. You're sticking with that guy that nine times out of ten you win the Super Bowl with? I don't think he's saying that about L.A. either, who's probably going to draft a quarterback in the first round with its number six pick, and they ended up drafting Justin Herbert. I doubt he was saying that about who? Tyrod Taylor at that point? No, because Philip Rivers was about to jump into free agency. So that doesn't even make sense. You're going to keep that mother bleeper. In that context, he had to be talking about Tennessee. He had to be. Yes, they went to the AFC Championship game, but it's Ryan Tannehill. You're choosing Tannehill, and why would Brady have any level of disgust towards Ryan Tannehill and the Titans? Oh, wait, that's the team that beat Tom on his home field in the wild card round. I also think Tom had a lot of interest to play in Tennessee. Why? A New England-connected general manager, a former teammate as the head coach in Mike Vrabel, 
a lot of talent at skill positions surrounding Kim. That would have made a lot of sense. If you're a Tennessee Titan fan today and you're hearing that, what exactly is going through your mind? Because when I hear that clip, Robert, first team I thought of was Tennessee, and it sounded like that was the team Tom wanted to go to. Yeah, I agree. As soon as, as, soon as I recorded it, I was like, yeah, he's talking about Tennessee. I, I think he could be talking about San Francisco like just because of the Jimmy G ties to New England and how they could he could feel about that guy. But I do agree that it's probably Tennessee. They were arguing that it would might have been uh, Indianapolis. Oh, and I was like, come added, on, they just added River. Yeah, why you're gonna you're gonna stick with that mother blaper? You're gonna stick with the guy you just signed? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm like there's no way it's gonna be it Indianapolis. That doesn't make sense. It has to be Tennessee. Moving things along here. There's a chance that only one of the top 10 players in the NBA are still remaining in the playoffs. That's crazy to me. We're in the conference final stage. Suns up one game to nothing on the LA Clippers. We've got Hawks-Bucks game one that's coming up on Wednesday night. So it had me thinking, Robert, Let's rank them. Let's rank the top 10 players in the NBA today. First, just going through some of the honorable mentions here. Devin Booker, as great as he was yesterday, 40-point triple-double. I don't think he's one of the 10 best players in the league just yet. Trey Young, the same way. Don't let recency bias cloud you. If you did this the same way a year ago, you might be saying Jamal Murray is one of the 10 best players in the league because of what he did in the playoffs. With Denver, you might even be saying he's better than Nikola Jokic, which is a ridiculous thing to think. So, value the larger sample. Those are some players on the outside looking in. James Harden, another one of those players. I think with rules changing and him getting older and injuries piling up and his role diminishing, I think, and joining Kyrie and KD, he's outside the top 10 as well. Who's in the top 10? Well, I'm glad you're at. You asked. Let's start with number 10. Number 10. Anthony Davis. Don't let injuries cloud your judgment either. Where would KD be on this list if we did this a year ago? Well, we haven't seen him in a year. The Achilles, yada, yada, yada. AD's number 10. I am concerned at his young age how many injuries he's had. A lot of that, I think, could be fixed with better fitness, and a lot of people have called him on it. But he's when he's on the floor, he's one of the 10 best players in the league, there's no doubt. Number nine. Damian Lillard. Top three in scoring this year. Playoff chops. A league that favors point guards that can score. Dame is the perfect type of player you want to build your team around. Number eight. Joel Embiid. Hard to blame him. There is a crazy stat where he had 16 turnovers in games six and seven combined. That's crazy. But what's even crazier is what they were asking Embiid to do. Hey, can you initiate the offense 15 feet away from the basket, even though you're a center? And we're already asking you to be our best rebounder and to be our rim protector as well. Can you just do that? He was fourth in the league in scoring this year as a center. Hard to blame him for the second round exit. Joel Embiid, seventh in the league. Number seven. Luka Doncic. Averaged 35-plus in the playoffs. That's 
the playoff high. Seven-game series, he needed more help around him. It was pretty obvious, even though now, whenever a star loses in the playoffs, you just hear them complaining about needing more. He was unreal in the bubble, too. He's so incredibly young. He's going to be a future MVP winner. Luka Doncic in at number six. Number six. Giannis. The only reason he's five is because of the free throw shooting. Kind of crazy, Robert. What kind of scene it became with the fans counting. One, two, three, all the way past ten to the point where Harden's losing his mind. I'm glad the officials didn't call it. You didn't call it all throughout the regular season. Don't call it now. He's a two-time MVP winner at 26 years old and just a freak of nature. The type of guy you want to build your team around. Work ethic, uh, development. He's getting better year after year. He is in the conference finals for a reason. Number five. Nikola Jokic. Wait, what number was this? This is the fifth. So the fifth best player in the league is... I think I skipped the I skipped the number here. I did that. So Giannis was number six. Jokic was... I have it number four. Can we just skip the number four here? Number four. Great at math. He's the MVP for a reason. Better passing. He's a shooter, a better shooter than Giannis is. Who would you take out of those two? Jokic or Yannick? I'd probably take Jokic. I just think you get a better shooter, better passer, won the MVP. It's a close call between those two. Jokic, he belongs there. So since I skipped one, let me recap the list real quick. Davis is 10. Dame Lillard is 9. I skipped number 8 on the list, which should have been Embiid, Kawhi 7. Luka Doncic over Kawhi. Giannis 5, Jokic 4. Sorry for the confusion there. Number three. Steph Curry. It's a league driven by guards and three-point shooting. He's the greatest shooter ever. Did it himself, led the league in scoring when people said that he would be unable to do that. He got the opportunity. He got Golden State to the playoffs. No doubt he's a top 10 player. For me, it's no doubt he's a top five guy and he's in at number three for me. Number two. Also, don't you get the feeling that his age isn't an issue? That his game's going to age well? Kind of like what we're seeing with Tom. What Steph does, he's going to be able to get to his spots and do it for a long period of time. So I don't think we're going to see diminishing returns for Steph anytime soon. LeBron James is number two. His play did drag off a bit at times this year, but I'm going to give him a break because oldest team in the league, won the title in October, condensed schedule. They started things back up in December. Weird year, dealing with injuries. I'm not going to make any leap on LeBron. His play did drag off at points this year, but he is the number two player in the world in my mind. Number one. It's Kevin Durant. That's what I took away from watching Game 7 the other night. I know they lost, but Kevin Durant is a unique talent. He's one of one. It's been a real battle between KD and LeBron over the last five years. Who's had a better five-year stretch? 
2017, 2016-17 season through now, so the year after LeBron won it for Cleveland, KD joined the Warriors, KD won two titles, LeBron won one in Los Angeles, KD lost a season due to injury, LeBron banged up much of this year, and also his first year with the Lakers was mired in injury. I think these are the top two guys, but you can make an argument KD's had the better five-year stretch. I wouldn't argue with that. I mean, if you look at it, he he won two titles, and he was also on the way to win a third one before the Clay injury and, and KD injury uh, knocked the Warriors out of that one. Yeah, and, and he was the best player in those final series against LeBron and company. So Kevin Durant, number one NBA player in my mind. Brutal counting on my part. I'll own that. I'll wear it. You know, got to take ownership, Robert. Any objections, though, to Davis 10, Dame Lillard 9, Joel Embiid 8, Kawhi 7, Luka 6, Giannis 5, Jokic 4, Steph 3, LeBron 2, KD 1. A little stuff, but I mean, I think your top 10 are solid. I think that's the same guys I would have there. Probably Luka at 5 ahead of Giannis. Though Giannis is at 5. Luka's at 6. Yeah, I would have Luka ahead of Giannis at 5. You would, wouldn't you? I just feel like he could lead the team a little bit better and be, if you need somebody to get a bucket, I'd probably lean more Luka than uh, It's it's about how close we are to getting there, right? It's Luka, he's at 6 over some players who have championships, AD and Kawhi. Luka is on the upward trend. And I think it's a much steeper upward trend than what Giannis is looking at after two MVPs. I'm just saying, since Giannis is in the Eastern Conference Finals and he's won two MVPs, he's slightly there right now. It's kind of like why Devin Booker and Trey Young aren't in the top 10 right now. Some would overreact and put them there, but... We got to value the sample sizes as of right now. Honestly, thought you might sneak Zion in at 10 or something. <laughs> he didn't even make the honorable mentions, Robert. And the number one player in the NBA is Zion. <laughs> Donovan Mitchell also on those, uh, just on the outside looking in. Chris Paul had him before Zion, too, for your information. Top of the hour. You are listening to WSGS, Winston-Salem, and Greensboro, WPC, and Burlington, WMFR High Point. Those signals make up WSGS Sports. We've got... Weird. Weird. A little weird. I know it's weird. Just go with it. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Don't look now... But tomorrow is the NBA Draft Lottery. The Charlotte Hornets hoping to strike gold for a second consecutive year and move up in the lottery. Last year, they jumped from eight to number three to draft LaMelo Ball. This year, they're, they don't have the greatest odds to jump up, but uh, they're hoping to potentially get into the top ten. Best chance to pick number 11th. They have a 2.5% chance to move into the top four, a 1.8% chance to get the number one pick, and there's also a slight scenario 
that they could drop to number 12 as well. And there's a 0.4% chance that they drop below the 12th pick. Brian Geisiger is now with us to talk all things all things NBA. We got the lottery tomorrow. I want to run a couple things past you, though. The big story today, obviously, has been Simmons. Game 7 last night, he had an opportunity to dunk the basketball. He passed it off to Tobias Harris. Joel Embiid's calling him out after the game. It seems pretty obvious that... Uh, Ben Simmons is going to be moving on somewhere this offseason. I'm interested what you think the best fit is because when I first started thinking about possibilities, San Antonio made sense in terms of they have pieces they can send back and Greg Popovich would probably welcome the opportunity to build around a guy like Simmons who's 24 years old and can move the basketball the way he does and play defense the way he does. Denver... You could pair him with Nikola Jokic, and you have some shooters on that team, Jamal Murray, chief among them that come to mind. And Portland makes a lot of sense to me. If C.J. McCollum's somebody, they might be interested sending back another team that has some shooters that Philadelphia just doesn't have at their disposal. When you think about fit for Simmons, what comes to mind first? Yeah, the, the, the Portland one you brought up is good. And there's like, a, you know, a CJ McCollum for Ben Simmons trade that can make that can make a lot of sense. Right. Um, I mean, I don't know if either fan base would be thrilled with that, but uh, Simmons would be a good guy to partner with Damian Lillard, uh, allow him to sort of get into that screen and roll and make plays as a short short roller in space kind of scenario and play underneath the shooting gravity of Damian Lillard, which is something, you know, Simmons has not been able to do and get him to a secondary ball handling position, which would be good for him. And then, uh, you know, CJ is not as CJ McCollum has been a very good player, never quite an all-star in the Western conference, which is a, a, you know, a tough scale to grade on, but is a guy that would give, you know, Philadelphia another shot maker, a, a shooter that can score from a couple of different levels. I think the bulls are sort of interesting. Um, would you it know, have to be building Vucevic a trade coming around. back? Say it again. Would it have to be Vucevic or are you thinking Levine? I think it would have to be uh Levine, like assuming they were a, they were like um anxious to like give Levine an extension, which could be kind of costly. And then Vucevic is a, is a stretch five. So then Simmons could play, you know, Simmons could be the guy inside underneath all the spacing that that Vucevic provides. Like that's that's something interesting. Uh, I think Toronto is a potential interesting spot. I think the Pacers um, in a deal maybe for Malcolm Brogdon, um, you know, I don't know if that's moving the needle enough for either team. And then also I don't really like the fit of Simmons in Indiana, especially if you still have Sabonis and Miles Turner. So, you know, Simmons is not going to make a lot of sense with those guys, but, but Brogdon is sort of a kind of guy, even with his own injury history is, is maybe like a B plus version of the kind of player that Philadelphia is hoping for. But at this point, I don't know if you're going to be able to do like too much better than some of these names. Levine would obviously be amazing for them. I mean, legit, I, I don't think Chicago is going to be looking to move them. I think if there were any fear of that, it simply would be, they would be afraid of having to really pony up to keep, um, to keep Zach Levine. So we'll, we'll see about that. But yeah, I mean, at this point, Simmons' stock as a trade asset has never been lower um, but he, man, he's still like a very good player. Like there's still going to be a market for him. 
He's one of the best defenders in the world. He's one of the best transition players in the world. And he's still just 24 years old. So, like, I'm not bailing on him being a, like, functional half-court offensive piece. But obviously, like, he's going to have to completely, like, rework uh, where he's at mentally and where he's at in terms of his skill set. He's got a ways to go, but I'm not counting him out yet. I I forgot to mention with the draft lottery that it was just announced who the Hornets on-camera representative is going to be. Miles Bridges will be the one that we see. And teams, they they get creative sometimes with who they throw out there. Like the Detroit Pistons are going to throw Ben Wallace out there since he's being inducted into the 2021 Hall of Fame class. And you've got Hakeem Olajuwon going to be out there for the Houston Rockets. So we'll keep an eye on that tomorrow night. Brian Geisiger with us here. We'll try to out-precise the guys in a few minutes. Uh, I started thinking about, with this conference final, who the best players in the NBA are. Like right now, who the best guys are. Not to say who's had the best season, but the best players currently. And I believe, after putting together a list of 10, I think only one out of the top 10 players left standing in the final four. Giannis. The list that I have, I think Anthony Davis is 10, Dame Lillard 9, Joe, uh, Kawhi Leonard, or excuse me, Joel Embiid 8, Kawhi 7, Lucas 6, Giannis 5, Jokic 4, Steph 3, LeBron 2, KD 1. You don't really have a lot of the best players remaining in this playoff, which I think is just an aberration and a one-off. It's interesting to me. But after watching KD Saturday night, even though they lost, I become convinced he's the best player going right now. Do you agree with that? With uh, with Kevin Durant, yeah, as the as like the best. Oh, well, well, just real quickly too. You still got Paul George. Like you know, he's still in the playoffs, and like when Paul George is right, he's he's like a top ten, top and Trey, fifteen player. And Trey Young might get Trae there. Young. Devin Booker might get there. Chris Chris Paul's Paul close. Chris Paul's a top twenty guy in the NBA too. And and Trey Young and and Devin Booker are right there too. I mean, Devin Booker's been. I mean, he's amazing. He's had a great season. He's had a great playoffs. As far as the best player in the world, it is tough because, like, you know, LeBron, LeBron is LeBron is still there. Um, Who's had the better it, five years? Both injury-riddled, both winning titles. LeBron with the Lakers after the Cleveland title, so 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. Uh, who's been better over the last five years, let's say? And, and you know, also you still have – I mean, Curry's not playing, but but Steph Curry and James Harden, these guys are in this conversation as well. But as far as like, if you're looking at just LeBron, KD, the last five years, I mean, I I do think LeBron. It's tough. Both guys have missed their own you know fair amount of time. KD missed a full season, so I actually think that makes it sort of a no brainer for for LeBron because you know if we're looking at a five year window, twenty five percent of that Durant <laughs> missed it straight up. So that will give LeBron the edge there, and, and I do think LeBron still is like a is a KD's obviously made great strides as a playmaker and what he did in the pick and roll was outstanding but he's not the passer that LeBron is I mean no one really is right um and I do think too I think sometimes we tend to like leave the big guys out of these concept these these conversations when we talk about we really focus on the like the power wings of the NBA and almost Giannis is almost between these two groups but like Man, Joel Embiid is incredible. He was the best player. I mean, he and Durant were probably the two best players in the playoffs this year. Um, there's some other names you could mention. But Embiid is such a two-way force. He can be the best player in the world. And I do think if he had played a full season this year or close closer to it, he would have won the MVP. But guys like Embiid, Jokic, like they've got to be in this conversation. Kawhi Leonard, like you got to talk about those guys as well. But I would still give LeBron the edge over 
Durant. Um, but man, if you want to argue KD, go for it because he is uh, special. Would any result surprise you in the conference final? No, not, I mean, at this point, no, I'm like surprised we got here, you know, like, uh, it's crazy that Atlanta's here. I mean, they, they earned it. Nate McMillan, that guy can coach, man, they did it. But considering like how, oh, how much they're overachieving and they're even missing guys like DeAndre Hunter and Bogdanovich has been hurt, but like, no, at this point, no, nothing would surprise me, you know? Um, but I, I love the, I love the final four that we've got, even with, you know, guys missing because of injuries. This is a great final four. And I don't want to hear about people fretting about, uh, you know, big markets not yeah. making it in or, yeah. or, or the ratings or whatever. No one should care about that unless you like are a suit working for the NBA. If you like basketball, you've got four awesome teams. You've got some great matchups and some like potentially historical of, of like potentially historical significance going on. Um, and yeah, right now, like you're just, you're just hoping Chris Paul can get back as soon as possible. And maybe the Suns could really make a, could really make a run because that to me is the most compelling um, aspect of the teams that are, that are left in the, the final four. And here. we'll see if Kawhi Leonard can get back as well. Game two in that series tomorrow night in Phoenix, Robert Walsh. Let's uh let's see what BG has this week. I, I'm leaking confidence right now. I I haven't had any success with this damn game in a month. It's time for me to try and out precise the guys. Brian Geisinger is a basketball genius. Josh Graham uh is not. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. Listen as Brian launches half-court shots and Josh, well, double dribbles all over himself. And there's nothing you can do about it. Get off the bench and try to out-precise the guys. Probably not the teams that we expected in the conference finals that you guys talked about there, but I'm enjoying the parody. And today on Out Precise the Guys, I want to sing the song of some unsung heroes on the teams that helped those teams make it to the conference uh, championship. So what we're going to look at first is Atlanta. Uh, they moved over the 76ers due in part to Trey Young and John Collins. But let's not forget the first man off the bench in Danilo Gallinari. 17 points in Game 7. I want to know how many did he average in the 76ers series? So, Gallinari, how many points did he average in the Sixers series? Well, Danilo Gallinari had a great season and was awesome for them uh, in that Philadelphia series. Atlanta and Nate McMillan really swung the tide of that series by playing Gallo with John Collins and Clint Capella in what was sort of like a, a super big front front court for Atlanta. That was huge for them. Um, Gallo can't jump, but, man, that guy can get buckets. I will say... I'll go 15 points per game for Danilo Gallinari in the the first round series against uh, Philadelphia, or pardon me, the second round series against Philadelphia. I've got 13.4 points per game for Danilo. Gallo! Doing a little math in my head. Gallinari comes in at 14.7. I really didn't have to do that math. Josh's answer threw me off. Oh, 14.7. Not bad for off the bench and not bad for a guy who can't jump, as BJ said there. Dude, I used to go to Nuggets games when I lived out in Colorado. Loved Gallo. How how about... How about both Trey Young and Danilo Gallinari getting transition dunks in Game yeah. Seven last night? How about that? How about yeah. that? How about the Sixers' transition defense? Great. Uh, How about my yeah. transitions? Uh, the Suns took Game One from the Clippers, <laughs> thanks to a forty-point triple-double from Book. 
But what about Jay Crowder's three-point ability? What is his three-point percentage for his career? Oh, yeah. Not just this year, the career three-point percentage for one Jay Crowder. But he was on fire the playoffs for the Suns. Yeah, it's important to remember Jay Crowder. Uh, volume over efficiency uh, is my man's uh, reputation, reputation when it comes to three-point shooting. Uh, I will say 33.5, just over the Mendoza line of 33% for uh, Jay Crowder three-point shooting. I've got 37.7%. When y'all put the points in there, you really scare me. Uh, Jake, <laughs> I hate math, man. I, I, I'm not good at math. Jay Crowder's three-point percentage for his career is 34.6. God. Oof. All right, let's go. That higher or lower, I guess that it's a little bit higher than BG expected, yeah. but a little bit lower than what Josh expected. We were close, though, man. We were close. When you uh, got, all right. This is a game of inches, though, so just the fact that you were in the ballpark is yeah. a good number. And you've got this game under, uh, under wraps, but I think this is one of the hardest questions that I've <laughs> asked you guys so far coming up right here. Uh, the Bucks move on to face the Hawks. But they had a monster Game 7. Uh, while Giannis has been a lot of the talk of the town, I think P.J. Tucker's defensive ability helped the Bucks a lot more than people want to give him credit for. How many combined blocks and steals does P.J. Tucker have for his 12-season NBA career? I mean... Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. 12 um, seasons he's played in the NBA. Uh, by, by the way, start. by the way, speaking of P.J. Tucker, we just talked about Nate McMillan. How about uh, Enlo High School? Uh, in not, not too far from my house here in Raleigh, North Carolina, producing both Nate McMillan and P.J. Tucker. Uh, pretty pretty cool, um, both from the same high school. Oh, God, I have no clue with this. I'll say uh, 3,000. I have no idea, man. No clue. <laughs> I've got 1794 written down. I wasn't going to give you a round number for being a jerk with this question. I mean, it was. It's a, <laughs> you guys want tough questions. You want a tough game. I brought it to you. 829 steals. 225 oh. blocks. Yeah! That's good for 1,054 uh, defensive yeah! turnovers for uh, one P.J. Tucker. I he's wish, a great I defender, wish, but not a lot of blocks and steals is what that, is what that number tells I me. wish this was aggregate scoring, like the soccer. Yeah. yeah. Where yeah. B.G. being off by 2,000 <laughs> is going to count worse than me being off by one point something digits and points per game. Uh, sorry, that's not how these rules work, man. And just because I, <laughs> I airballed my third shot badly, like I didn't even get close to the backboard. I did drain my first two. So yeah. that's all that really Next matters, time you're at clearly. the foul line, we're going to have intern Cole counting how many seconds it takes for you to <laughs> say an answer. Anyway, BG, appreciate you, buddy. Talk to you next week. Yeah, be good, guys. That's Brian Geisinger.